Okay, well, I begin the book by looking at the use of the term Akhbari in the earliest sources we have in the Shi'i tradition. Okay, well, it's a, it's a book I wrote a while back. Um, it's called Scripturalist Islam, the History and Doctrines of the Akhbari Shi'i School. Uh, and um, it was really the book I should have written for my PhD, but I didn't... I, I, I started off wanting to write this book for my PhD, and I ended up just doing a very small portion of the history of the Akhbari School. Uh, and then when I'd finished that, I decided that I was going to spend the next 10 years trying to get the materials together for this particular book, which is uh, Scripturalist Islam. And um, it, the aim of the book is to try and trace the, uh, the growth and development of the school, which is known in the, in the Shi'i sources as the Akhbariya or the Akhbariyun. And the aim is to try and uh, ensure that they uh, are given a proper place, if you like, in the history of, of Shi'ite thought, because so often they're characterized by their opponents. They're not always described. I try and, in this book, use their own sources to try and create their own story about how they see themselves as coming into being. And ultimately to try and demonstrate that they're a little bit more sophisticated than people think they are. That is that they had complex ideas. They weren't the same as the majority Usuli school, but they had complex ideas which deserve repaying some attention to, even though there's not many Akhbaris around today. Um, it, they are worthy, I think, of uh, attention because um, they have some interesting things to say. Um, and uh, uh, although in some ways the debate within Usul al-Fiqh and Fiqh more widely has moved on since the time of the Akhbariya, uh, some of the things they say is still, I think, important today to understand the history of the doctrines. Okay, well, I begin the book by looking at the use of the term Akhbari in the earliest sources we have in the Shi'i tradition. And these are some um, sources which were written uh, as historical sources. Some of them are what we call heresographical sources, so they describe the different sects that existed, and one of the sects is given the term Akhbari. Some of the sources are Sunni sources, which are describing the Shia and trying to explain uh, the different groups within the Shia, and they, you come across the term Akhbari in those um, sources as well. And I try and collect all of these references, as many as I could, and I searched um, as widely as possible, spent a long time trying to find the different references to a group called the Akhbariya, or the Akhbaris, or the Akhbariyun, to try and see whether these scattered references have anything in common. What do, they, what do they indicate? And what we found, what I found when I was doing that was that there's not a single doctrine which unites all of these different um, terms and uses of the, of the term Akhbari. There's, there's some things which you can say there is an emphasis on transmitting hadith, but there's lots of other things which are said to be Akhbari doctrines in the early sources, which don't seem to fit into a single worldview. So the first part of the book is a, a sort of a, a criticism, if you like, of some of the scholarship that we've had on the Akhbaris, which say that the Akhbari school is datable to the very earliest period. Um, my argument in the first book is that 
Yes, there's a traditionalist school. You can identify a, a school which emphasizes the traditions. And sometimes it's called an Akhbari school. But there's lots of different words which are used for it. And Akhbari isn't the only word that's used for it. The middle part of the book is a focus on the so-called founder of Akhbarism. So that's uh, Muhammad Amin al-Astarabadi. And in that part of the book, I try and find out as much as I can about this man who is described by Akhbaris themselves as the person that revived the Akhbari school. Um, and by Usulis as the person that invented the Akhbari school. So <laughs> you uh, depend on which perspective you're taking, you, you, you accept one or other of those. And I try and find out all the books that he wrote, his life story, and as well as that, look at some of his writings. Now, of course, he's most famous for the one book which supposedly kicked off the Akhbari school called Al-Fawa'id al-Madaniya. And I have an analysis of that in one point. But he's also wrote, he also wrote quite a few other books, which I think it would be, which have never really been read or understood. Some hadith commentaries, as well as some uh, philosophical and theological works. Um, one of my chapters, I try and um, trace his his, the development of his philosophical and theological thought over his lifetime. The aim of doing that is some of these books we can actually date to different points in his life, is because he converted to Akhbarism at certain points during his life, do we see a change in his theology and philosophical thought during his lifetime before and after his um, conv so-called conversion to Akhbarism? My basic conclusion is you don't see a big change. That is that his conversion to Akhbarism is primarily based around ijtihad in usul. It's not something that spreads out into theology and other areas of his thought. It's confined, if you like, to his, his works on usul and, to a lesser extent, some of the fiqh writings that he produced. So, in that, I try and, that part of the book, I try and explain that Muhammad Amin al-Astarabadi is essentially interested in the problem of ijtihad and he wants to denounce ijtihad in usul al-fiqh. That's his main claim and that's how he envisages the Akhbari position. And then in the final part of the book, I look at the Akhbaris after Muhammad Amin al-Astarabadi, what they did, their activities, some of the major texts that were written by Akhbaris, uh, including uh, Muhammad Taqi al-Majlisi, the father of Muhammad Bakhur al-Majlisi, obviously a very important figure. Al-Hur al-Amali, who we know today as the collector of Wasail al-Shia, but who also um, collected, uh, who also wrote a number of other types of works as well, and, and I, I, I analyzed some of his writings. And uh, Mohsin Faiz Karshani, and looking at his, he's obviously very famous, one of the pupils of Mullah Sadra, uh, but also an Akhbari. How did he marry his Akhbarism with his um, continuation of some of the themes that you find in the philosophy of Mullah Sadra. So what happens in all of those, um, uh, it, it, with, the, with all of those thinkers, ending up with the person that I actually eventually wrote my PhD on, which was Yusuf al-Bahrani, who um, was supposedly the last great Akhbari scholar. There were a few uh, Akhbaris after him, but he was the one that wrote books which are still read and used today. 
Um, uh, and uh, people read the works of Yusuf al-Bahrani today. They're edited, they're popular. Uh, uh, no doubt you have them here somewhere in the library, in particular his Al-Hada'ik and Nadira. So I ended up with him at the end of the book. So the book is an attempt to try and trace, if you like, Akhbarism with a focus on the later period from Muhammad Amin al-Astarabadi up to the so-called demise of Akhbarism in the late 18th, early 19th century of the Miladi era. Well, you know, publishers always ask that. What sort of audience <laughs> are you aiming for? You know, it's, I, I wouldn't say it's a book for everybody. It's, a, it's not a popular book in the sense that I wrote it for, to be read widely. I really, uh, I, I suppose it's for people who are advanced undergraduates and people who are uh, doing MAs, PhDs, people who are interested in the development of Shi'i thought, um, uh, who are quite specialised in that sense, because some of my findings for someone outside of the field wouldn't seem particularly amazing that, you know, Akhbarism, did it start in the 9th century or did it start in the 17th century? You know, th these debates for people who want a general understanding of Shi'ism or Islam more generally, these aren't the most important questions to ask at the beginning. But for those who have gone a bit deeper, I hope that it provides a sort of alternative perspective. Because most of the works that we have in the secondary literature uh, focus on what you might call the most successful elements of the intellectual history of Shi'ism. And that's primarily a lot of work on philosophy, obviously, but also a lot of work on the Usuli uh, ulama, some of whom had political power, some of whom were in political opposition at various points in the Safavid and in the Qajar period in Iran. So that's up until the early 20th century. Most of the secondary literature doesn't mentions the Akhbari Usuli conflict, but none of it has really tried to read Akhbari sources and give them a place, I suppose, within Shi'i intellectual development.